0: While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus' On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They went on for two years that this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the Word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power.
1: G'day again, friends. My name is Scott. Um, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Pracker. Really excited to be with you today. I wanted to actually just start this morning by playing you a clip. This is a clip from a podcast I listened to early in the week. It starts, it's the start of a bit of a spooky story. Here we go.
2: In the evening of Sunday, February 16th, 1981... In Brookfield, Connecticut, a bright waxing gibbous is slowly rising as an ambulance makes its way north along the Route 7 highway. In the distance, the low-lying curves of pine-covered Carmen Hill run like a blot of ink under the darkening sky. At exit 12, the ambulance veers to the right, taking the turn off for Silvermine Road before circling back and continuing east toward the depot. Silvermine was especially quiet that night when, inside the ambulance, a call was received requesting all emergency personnel be on the lookout for a white, 19 year old male with curly blonde hair going by the name of Arnie Johnson, who was wanted in connection with a stabbing incident. No sooner had the call ended, the driver looked ahead to see a dark figure lit up suddenly in the vehicle's headlights. Trudging along the grassy verge by the side of the road, their head bowed and unmoved by the approaching vehicle. As the ambulance passed by, the driver caught a momentary glimpse of a pale, youthful face under a mop of curly blonde hair. The driver stamped on the brake and brought the ambulance to a stop by the side of the road. Then, taking a moment to compose himself, jumped out into the night. With a deep breath, the driver held up his hands as the figure moved steadily toward him, staring aimlessly at the ground. Arnie Johnson, said the driver. The young man stopped suddenly and looked up, as if only then just registering the person in front of him. Please, he said, his voice trembling in the cold. Help me. After the arrival of a squad car from the nearby Brookfield Police Department, the young man was handcuffed and pushed into the back of the car. At 7.30pm, Arnie Johnson was formally arrested for the attempted murder of 40-year-old Alan Bono, the manager of a local dog kennel who'd been found unresponsive at his property, having been stabbed multiple times. Ten minutes later, A call came through from Danbury Hospital to say that Alan Bono had died. 19-year-old Arnie Johnson was now facing prison for murder. When Johnson finally began to talk, however, he claimed to have no recollection of the event, and not because of some kind of ruse to get off the hook, he insisted, but because he hadn't been in control of his mind at the time the devil had. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith.
1: He's a great storyteller, that guy. Um, But I wonder, what's your reaction to hearing that story? Kind of pertinent for today with Halloween, right? Uh, What's your reaction to hearing that story? The the podcast goes on to tell Arnie's story, or at least one version of Arnie's story. It's it's a weird story, Uh, haunted houses, demons exorcisms, and eventually, uh, as you heard there, murder. And his case became famous. When he went to court, or more, in, more infamous, really, when he went to court, his defense lawyers argued um, that he wasn't to be held responsible for what happened, and they were the first to use the what became known as the devil-made-me-do-it defense. That is, they argued Arnie couldn't possibly be held responsible for what happened that night because he wasn't in control of himself. The devil was. The devil made him do it. I wonder how you feel about this. What's your gut reaction when people start talking about things like angels and demons, about possession and exorcisms, the whole idea of a spiritual presence or realm around us? What's your reaction to that? You probably noticed, as Nathaniel kind of said, the the, the part of the Bible we just read—it has this kind of stuff in it. You know, magic handkerchiefs that heal people, and special words that are supposed to have power over demons. It kind of sounds a bit kooky. Like, like this might be the kind of bit—the of the, the bit of the Bible that Christians try to hide away and don't pull out. Well, at least for today, that's not true, anyway, right? Here at church, we are going through a. ...short series in a part of the Bible called Acts. Acts is a book in the Bible that describes what happened in the early church. when fish, what, what, what the first Christians did after Jesus ascended back to heaven... ...and how they kept on being witnesses to Jesus. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen threats emerge. Threats to this early church. Threats that might stop them from being witnesses. Today, however, we don't, we don't really see any threat... But there's a constant note in the background of the passage, all the way through. You can't help but notice there's a a hum. And the hum is that there's spiritual problems all through. That's the background note, these spiritual problems. But in the front, in the foreground, the thing you can't miss is this. Jesus is the one with true power in the spiritual realm. Jesus is the one with true power in the spiritual realm. Now, in the passage that Nathaniel read out for us, there, there's kind of like three mini-episodes, if you will. Three mini-episodes. I mean, I'm going to just kind of run through the first two pretty quickly because I want to spend most of our time on the third one there. Um, but the first mini-episode, you see it in verses 1 to 7. Um, uh, Paul, the great early Christian missionary, he travels to a city called Ephesus, which is there on the map in modern-day Turkey. You can go there today. There's not a city there, but you can see the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus. Uh, So in verse 1 to 7, we see Paul comes to this city, and he sees big spiritual problems. And the, the spiritual problem he sees is this. There are people there that think they are following God, but they don't know about Jesus yet. That is, they've heard all about John the Baptist. He came before Jesus. But they themselves don't know about Jesus. So along comes Paul. He tells them about Jesus. He baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And, and, and now they live their lives centered on Jesus. And the whole point of this is to remind us that true spirituality, to be truly spiritual, is to have Jesus at the center of life. If you want to be a truly spiritual person, this part of the Bible is telling us, put Jesus at the center of of who you are, of what you do. That's episode one in our passage. Episode two comes along, though, and it highlights a different spiritual problem. And it's the problem of obstinate hearts. You see in verses eight to ten. Uh, uh, in this part, Paul then starts going to the, the synagogue, and he, when he's there, he teaches about Jesus. But after some time, the people, a lot of, some of the people in the synagogue, they don't really like hearing about Jesus. And so they run a smear campaign against Paul because they want him to get out of there. And so eventually he, he leaves. But no worries, he just finds a new place to meet. And things kind of go gangbusters for them. Look at the end of verse 9 with me. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, they're in the city of Ephesus, but the region around there is quite large. It's called Asia, not the Asia that we know of today, but this region around in, in kind of modern-day Turkey, there was a region called Asia, and everyone in there hears about Jesus. It's, 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 incre- it's an incredible footprint to leave behind from, from, from two years of hard work. And doesn't that serve as, uh, serve as a reminder to us of, again, what we are doing here? One year ago, we started this new church at Paraka here. And why did we do that? Because we want everyone in Paraka to hear about Jesus. And we're not just limited to Paraka, really. We want people uh, kind of around us, in, in the suburbs around us too, like Ingle you know, Farm, Mawson Lakes, Enfield down the road, Parry Hills up here. We, we want people to hear about Jesus And we know that we're not the only ones that can do this, or we're not the the only ones that that do do this. So in fact, we're part of a network of churches, the Trinity network of churches. And our desire as a network of churches is that all over Adelaide and South Australia that people would hear about Jesus. And friends, can I give you some great news? There's so much to praise God for. In the next year, before, before 2022 ends, there are plans to plant three more churches across Adelaide one in Campbelltown in the north, one in Mile End to the west, and one in Tonsley to the south. Praise God for that. And friends, do pray for these people who are going to be part of the church plants. Pray that God would use them so that more and more people would hear about Jesus and have the life that they can in Him. Praise God for the work He's doing across our city, right? So those are the first two kind of episodes, mini-episodes in our passage. But really now, I want us to spend most of our time on the third one. It's in verses 11 to 20. And again here, there's another spiritual problem. It's the problem of having things out of focus, or perhaps being kind of focused slightly on the wrong thing. You see, the people we meet here, um, they're in Ephesus again. They've heard about Jesus. They're not obstinate to him. But, their focus has remained on something else, on sorcery, on evil spirits and exorcisms. Their focus is on the occult kind of things. The allure of that world has caught their attention, and so their focus is not on Jesus. Can I tell you a story? This is a story of the first Sunday we met here in this Cracker School Church Hall, not church hall, but the school hall. I was here early uh, that morning. It was a first day. I wanted to make sure things got went well and we got what done, what needed to get done before everyone else arrived. So I was here early. No one else was around at this point. And I was just going around unlocking all the place, unlocking the toilets, the hall, and then over at the kids' building, unlocking it over there as well. And suddenly I started hearing these noises. Things going, ah, and after a little while, I found myself thinking, what is this? Could it be that it's like a an evil spirit around? Something sent to throw us off on our first day? It, it, it wasn't. It only took me a few minutes to realize. Over the back here, there's some tennis courts, and people were just kind of trying to volley really hard that day or something, apparently. But... Um, I wanted to pose that question I started with again. How do you feel about this talk of spirits and angels and demons and exorcisms? And wh- what's your gut reaction when you hear about this kind of thing? I reckon for most of us, we tend to think it's it's, it's just not real, is it? Like, and, and I'm not talking, you might be a follower of Jesus, you might not be a follower of Jesus, but most of us tend to think this kind of stuff just isn't real. It doesn't happen. Um. But I did want to spend a couple of moments now just hoping to ask us to reconsider that idea. Um, I reckon the reason why most of us think it's not real is because we've never seen it for ourselves. We've never experienced this kind of thing and so we think it doesn't happen. We tend to write it off that people have like a ghost story or something like that and we think, oh, it's just a bit of a wild imagination or maybe they had a bit too many drugs that night or they had some kind of hallucination or whatever it is. But, I, but then stick with me here. I, I think... Just because you've never seen something, that's actually a bad reason to think that it's not real. Say again: Just because you haven't seen something, that's a bad reason to think it's not real. I'm not saying every ghost story you hear you should just accept. But for example, I've never seen the Eiffel Tower here. I mean, sure, I've seen photos like this one. Uh, but I've never actually seen it in the flesh myself. For all I know, these photos could be doctored, couldn't they? Surely, uh, but no, no. I'm convinced the Eiffel Tower is real, and I'm pretty sure all of us here—anyone um, a- actually seen the Eiffel Tower in person? Got a couple. The rest of us who haven't seen it in person, I'm sure we're all convinced it is actually real, right? Even though we have not been there to see it for ourselves. And I know that believing that the Eiffel Tower is there—it's different to believing in a spiritual realm of angels and demons and this kind of thing. But you get the point, right? Just because I've never seen it, that's not a good reason to believe that it doesn't exist. But actually, there's something else I want to say too. The idea that there's no spiritual world, that's a relatively recent idea. You go back a few hundred years and, well, everyone believed it was there, just about. Also, the idea that there's, that there's no spiritual world, that's a heavily Western idea. And so many other cultures across the world accept that spiritual beings are a reality. So in Korea, m- most people will have the idea that there's a, a presence of, of, of spirits around them. Most African cultures openly talk about the spiritual world around them. I have a friend, Sam. He lives in Taiwan at the moment. Interesting place to be right now. Um, he, he he's, he's he's a Westerner. He grew up in New Zealand, in Australia. Now he's spending some time living in Taiwan. And at the beginning of the year, he was telling me they have a, a festival that was going on at the time, a local festival. And the festival was there to appease the 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 spirits in the area because everyone there, again, agrees uh, they 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 are convinced there's a spiritual world. Now, I understand. I'm probably not going to convince you to change your mind in two minutes. I could probably spend 20 minutes up here and I'm probably not going to convince you to change your mind. But if you're here and you question whether these things actually happen, I just hope uh, I've given you enough there to maybe reconsider and to stick with us for the next few minutes. Because in this third mini-episode, the spiritual realm is in full view. The problem that the people have at the time is They're not focused on Jesus. Their focus is on spirits and sorcery and not Jesus. So let's run through the story. Stick with me. Verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Uh, Anyone here this morning got someone at home who's crook that they know? I've got a couple of used tissues here. Can you... Any, anyone... and no, no one wants to take me up on that? No, of course not. But seriously, there's nothing special about Paul or his hankies here. It's just the work of God. And it shows where God's heart is. God's heart is to bring healing, to bring freedom from evil spirits. But others are looking on at Paul and what he's doing, and they decide they want a piece of the action for themselves. They see Paul doing miracles. They hear him talking about Jesus... And so they decide the power must be in the name of Jesus. And they want to make use of this power for themselves. So look what they do in verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. You see, they think that power comes when Jesus' name is invoked in something. You can tell what the problem is though, right? Their their focus is wrong. Their their focus is on words and on themselves, not on Jesus. But the power isn't in in knowing a, a set of words or an incantation. The power is in Jesus himself. And these guys are out of focus with Jesus. They don't really know him. And then so in Acts we get one kind of story of how it goes terribly wrong for one set of guys. Verse 14... Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. That is, they were using that incantation to try and drive out evil spirits. They're doing this. And one day, an evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating... They ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Didn't end so well. Here are these guys. They're wannabe exorcists. And they try to use Jesus' name to drive out this spirit, to have power over this spirit. But they find out very quickly, they don't possess the real power here. Because again, this is what we've been seeing in the foreground all the time. Jesus is the one with true true power in the spiritual world and once the people recognize this well look at the response in in verse 17 again it's incredible when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor many of those who believed now came and openly professed what they had done A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. See, the people see the power is in Jesus. That's what they finally realize. And so they do four things. Firstly, they fear Jesus. They don't need to fear evil spirits anymore. They need to fear the one who is more powerful than any evil spirit. They need to fear Jesus. Secondly, they honour Jesus. They honour him because he's powerful. But unlike an evil spirit, which has some kind of power, Jesus uses his power for good. Remember again what Paul was able to do? Bring healing, bring freedom, because that is what Jesus is on about. Thirdly, the people believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and so they confessed openly what they'd done. And fourthly, then they turn away from their old lives. They believe in Jesus. And they don't want to be involved in this occult stuff anymore. They repent. They set their lives on a different direction. And they show that by burning their magic books with all of its spells and incantations. They don't want part of that old life anymore. Now they are set on this new life focused on Jesus. And this is a big step for them. It cost 50,000 drachmas. Now, what does that mean? Well, to earn that much money, you'd have to work for 137 years with no weekends, no holidays, no sick leave. Anyone putting their hand up to do that? No. (laughs) These things are valuable. They're worth a lot. And this is a true sign of repentance, leaving the old life behind to follow Jesus. And people did this because, again, they saw Jesus is the one with true power. Even in the spiritual realm, especially in the spiritual realm, Jesus is the one with true power. And the point of all this is not that we should get worried about demons and evil spirits, not to get focused on that. The point of us is to know what they knew. To fear Jesus. That we'd be those who honour Jesus. To go to him, because he is the one with real power. It also shows us that Jesus is bigger than we often give him credit for. Not only is he Lord over everything we see around us, Jesus is Lord over the things that we don't even see, over the spiritual world. For every spiritual being whether good or evil, all of them know who has the real power. And that's Jesus. Do we know this about Jesus too? Is that the way that we treat Jesus? Are we led to fear him? To honor him? To keep turning our lives in the direction of following him? To delight in his great power, which he uses for good. There's something else to notice in this passage too. So you can read this and you can end up thinking, well, this is what we need to make successful ministry, isn't it? We need... Amazing spiritual experiences like those guys at the start who were baptized and started prophesying and speaking in tongues. That we need to do miracles like Paul did and have magic handkerchiefs all over the place that heal people. Or we need to have visible success over the evil spirits, unlike the sons, the seven sons of Skeva. You know, if we did this then surely, surely that would be a sign that we'd have successful ministry and things would be pumping. Is that right? I think you know that's not right, isn't it? In fact, in his life on earth, Jesus warned against this kind of thing. He said in Matthew chapter 7, these are the words of Jesus, he said, Many will say to me on that day, on the final day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Having these Great spiritual experiences and power over demons—it doesn't guarantee you any success in ministry, because there are those who do these things, and they're not even part of Jesus' kingdom. It's very sad. But we see in Acts nineteen, back in our Pacific day, we do see the key ingredient for ministry, and that is the word of the Lord. Because what is it that people needed to hear in verse ten? was the word of the Lord. And in verse 20, what is it that spreads and grows in power? Again, friends, it is the word of the Lord. That is successful ministry. When the word of the Lord is heard. When we hear the word of the Lord. And so for us, we've been thinking over the last few weeks, how can we be witnesses how can we help others hear the word of the Lord to know about him? And each week I've tried to say one simple thing that we can all do. So we come to our, the last week we're spending in Acts this week and I and we want to ask that question again. What's one simple thing we can all do? Well, let me recap where we've been. How do we help people hear the word of the Lord? Well, in the first week I said, know how to tell your story. That is, know the story of how you became a follower of Jesus and be ready to tell people about it. Second week, I said, be ready to invite someone along to church where they can hear more of the word of the Lord. Again, these are simple things. These are things that we can all do. Last week, I said, be ready to read the Bible with someone. Sit down and help them see the word of the Lord themselves. And many of us will think we can't do this. And so coming up in a couple of Saturdays time, we'll hear more about this in a moment, but come to the Word 1-1 to training morning. But today's the final week. What I want to say on the final week, how do we help people... Hear the word of the Lord. Here's what I want to say today, friends. Number four. Simple thing that all of us can do. Be a friend to others. You'll notice, actually, most of the weeks one, two, and three, most of what I said there already assumes you are being a friend. Because when is it that someone will ask your story? When will someone be willing to go to church with you or to sit down with you and read the Bible? It's when you're their friend. Not that we need to be friends just so we can witness to people. There's, look, there's plenty of good reasons to be friends with others. But without being a friend who's ready to listen and and ask questions and be interested and spend time with others, if we're not truly friends with others, we'll find it harder to be a witness for Jesus. Now, often I think when we talk about being friends with people, we can th- there's two extremes you want to avoid. One extreme is where we don't really be friends with people, we just try and bash them with the Bible. We don't want to be like that. The other extreme is something I think that perhaps we're a bit more susceptible to, and that is we want to keep building the bridges of friendship. We keep building bridges, but to keep going with the metaphor, we never walk over the bridge, we never talk about Jesus with our friends, we're just interested in keeping on building the friendship. Now, I'm not telling you, if you're, if you're like that, I'm not telling you to become a, a Bible basher and bludgeon people with the gospel. I'm just saying, make sure you, you take the opportunities you have to, to speak the word of the Lord, to tell your story, to invite someone to church, to invite them to read the Bible with you. Build bridges of friendship. Build bridges and cross those bridges of friendship with the gospel. Throughout acts, we keep seeing time and again that we are to be witnesses, witnesses of Jesus, witnesses to who he is and what he's done. When we are, there's threats and opposition that come. That's normal, that's natural. And yet, we still be witnesses. So be a friend. Ask questions. Listen to people. Find out about their life. Be interested. Invest in those around you. And can I say, friends, pray for them. Pray for them. And when you have the opportunity, tell your story. Invite people to church. Invite them to read the word with you and keep being a true friend. Let me pray that God would help us be a church full of those people. God in heaven, you have given us the word of the Lord Jesus, a gospel which brings freedom and life. Our prayer is that because of us, more and more people would know this word of yours. Father, please help us be true friends with others. Please help us to have a deep-seated interest in others, to ask questions and spend time. We pray that with our friends, you would help us be witnesses to who Jesus is and what he's done. We ask for your help in this in Christ's name. Amen.